Okay. Hi, We're everybody. On. We're Hi, on. everybody. Yeah, this is on it. On this beautiful, beautiful Monday. Let me put my glasses on here so I can see what's happening. So, all right. Got the brightness all set. How you doing today, Patty? I'm good. <laughs> good. I am very good. Very so good. am I. Yeah. It's a beautiful day out. It's going to be a nice week. The landscaping people next door came early. went away, so the blowers <laughs> stopped. Those things drive me crazy. I know. Especially I... when I walk in the mornings. You know, like Saturday, I got up for a nice, peaceful, beautiful walk, and I didn't get a hundred yards, and I ran into the first set of blowers, yes. blowing stuff. Drives me mad because they're so loud. They are. I mean, they, they just, really you, are. I have to turn off my little book like a half a block ahead and have to wait a block to turn it back on. But anyway, I'm not complaining. It was a beautiful day. But it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. That's right. That's right. Yes. So, um, I see you brought something for show and tell today. I do. I have something for show and tell. Because you all know that every Sunday I do the, the national holiday or the international holiday. Today is one that is so near and dear to my heart. It's a very special day for you, isn't it, darling? It is. And, yes. and it's you look not... forward to this for weeks and I weeks. I do. Yes. Some people might think it's like National Cruise Day or National Barbie Day. National Scotty Day. National Scotty Day. <laughs> but it is truly, this is a, a this is a thing. It is National Oreo Day. Not just any Oreo Day, but Mega. Well, it's all Oreo. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, it's it's National Oreo Cookie Day. And I wait for this all year. Do you? I do. Could uh, they put any more filling between those two crackers? You know, you can get them as, like, thin. <laughs> you could get them as regular. Now you could get them as double stuff. But this is the ultimate for people who like things sweet. It's the mega. And I have to say, I haven't seen that she's on yet today. But a little friend of ours brought these on my birthday. And I've saved yes. them ever since. So. so is mega stuff your favorite? They're pretty darn good. <laughs> they are pretty darn good. Oh, man. Okay. Well, Such safety. a little thing, though, to make Such me happy. Such a little happy. thing. Sure. Oreos. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. Yeah. This is the They're most number thing. one cookie in America is Oreos. I don't doubt that. Yeah. By far. I don't doubt that. By, By far. far. By far. By far. So, anyway, well, we're back to Hosea today. We are. We, we are. are. Back today and um, got a good group a lot a of people group. online watching, good. a lot of singles, a lot of couples. I feel like, you know, I see the names of people when they sign in, and I've, uh, I, many I can picture. Those I I can't picture as well because, I mean, I, I guess I've met Maybelle. Oh, from Mona. Longview. Mona, you're there, dear. So, thank you <laughs> again. I've saved these since my birthday for today, National <laughs> National Oreo Day with yeah. Mega Stuffs to celebrate. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, we wouldn't go out to dinner or anything today because they would not have. Well, maybe some people have doing Oreo desserts. I'm not taking any chances. No, I'm I'm here. So <laughs> anyway, we hope you all have a a great day here with us. Scott's been uh, preparing as he always does all morning, um, getting stuff done, getting stuff out, and. I guess it's time for you to open us up in prayer. And then I'm going to tell you one thing. I am going to turn the air conditioning down because now it's very hot in here. So. Turning the temperature down is always good with me. Okay. Okay, so All let's right. pray. 
Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be gathered here today, even though we're spread out all over the place and we're doing this virtually. We know that you have called us here and we've just carved some time out of our week to come together to study your word. Um, and we are in the midst of this very old piece of writing called Hosea. And uh, as we continue to make our way through Hosea, we ask that you would open it up for us and help us to hear in these writings um, a word, a message for us here in 2023. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. Okay. I'm gonna go around the other you're side. Gonna, you're going to sneak some Oreos? I'm not. I'm waiting till dinner. I'll be able to hear. You know, if I, if I hear that package opening, I'm telling everybody. <laughs> so, okay, everybody. Well, here we are. We are back to Hosea. So, you know, Hosea is 14 chapters long. We're about halfway through. Um, and I think, you know, let me just tell you what lies ahead. That That's probably the best way to do this because let me pull up my slides for a second. Oh, important slide here. Just mark down that we won't have class on March 20th. So that's a week from Monday. We won't meet because... Patty and I, most of you know this, but Patty's younger brother passed away almost, from almost three years prostate ago. cancer during COVID. And it proved very difficult to get all the family together and meet the COVID requirements, but we're having a memorial service for him in Atlanta that weekend. And so Patty and I are actually driving to Atlanta and driving home because we... How should I put it, Patty? We both fainted when we looked at the airfare. That is so That true. is what happened. I'm just telling you. I looked at the airfare. I thought, I am only going to Atlanta, you know. Yes. But, yeah. So we decided we would just, you know, take a few days off and drive to Atlanta. And so we're going to be driving back part of the way. We're going to split it up into two days, drive back on the 20th. So we will miss that day. Okay. So back to Hosea. As I told you when we started Hosea, he was a prophet who worked in the northern kingdom, right? So the northern kingdom is in the green. Um, that is constitutes the ten northern tribes of Israel, one of whom was called Ephraim. And the name Ephraim is often used in Hosea to speak of the kingdom of Israel, okay? And the, the, the kingdom of Judah is in the south. And you have prophets that work in the north, and you have prophets that work in the south. Um, uh, but Hosea is a prophet who works in the north. And he worked and lived, uh, most importantly, in the years leading up to the time that the northern kingdom was overrun by the Assyrians. Okay? So his job, his work, is to call the people back to God, to help them see that what is about to fall on them is because of their own faithlessness. Their, their own sin is being turned back on them. They are bearing the consequences of their abandonment of God. And yet God loves them. God loves them, and we saw in chapter 2 of Hosea this beautiful passage that contrasted God's wrath with God's 
love, a very tender love, a very poignant love, a very personal love in the second half of chapter 2. So if you ever get lost in Hosea, go back to chapter 2 and you'll kind of see the interplay of those two things. And the story of Hosea himself is, and remember he's told to go marry a prostitute, that is all about enacting through Hosea Israel's faithlessness and the way Gomer's faithlessness and her adultery and her prostitution to the point that Hosea is raising the children of that prostitution is how the Israelites make God feel. It's really just quite remarkable. If you step back and think about it for a second, it's just really, it's just really something. We're talking about the creator of all that there is has this deep and abiding, relentless love for God's people. And not just them, but for all of humanity and the people of God, the people, the Israelites, the Abraham's family are the means, they are the ones through whom God wants to bring all peoples back into a right relationship with God. But it, it, it just, you know, the Old Testament story is one where it just doesn't go, it just doesn't go very well. The people are not faithful to God, and that is what we will see. <laughs> you may get worn down by this, I don't know. Prepare yourselves a little bit. I'll explain some of the metaphors and stuff as we go along, but we'll just kind of read through because it's Hosea 7, 8, 9, and 10 are all focused on how much the Israelites have disappointed God. And then in chapter 11, you get a very famous passage. We'll, we'll get there, of course, not today, I don't think. A very famous... I know, a very famous passage, very much parent-child in the way that it's written. God the parent, um, uh, his people, the Israelites, the child. So, but for right now, we're going we're gonna to be in, this sec in these sections that are very much focused on how much Israel has disappointed God and how much God is angered by that, disappointed by that, a righteous anger an understandable disappointment and how and a sadness because they are going to bear the consequences of their sins. One thing I end up talking in my classes a lot about is the fact that God treats us as adults and as adults we bear the consequences of the choices we make. And it makes God sad when we make poor choices, but God is not, God doesn't turn us into robots by keeping us from making poor choices, which is what that would be. Um, much like I, you know, I've set up, it's like raising kids, you know, your, your kids get to the point where you have to let them make some wrong choices if those are the choices they're gonna make. Otherwise, they'll, they'll stay, you know, infants, children all of their lives. So, with all of that said, we are going to start in Hosea chapter 6, the second half of the 11th verse.
Isn't that weird? The Hosea 6, the second half of the 11th verse, and then we're going to press onward. And these kind of things happen because the guys who, about 800 years ago, divided the, chap the Bible up into chapters and verses kind of mishit it once in a while. Most of the time not, but once in a while. So in verse 11, God is at the beginning of it. God just reminds Judah that, you know, pff, your day's really coming too. You know, your harvest is coming. And it will, but just not as quickly as the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom been swept away in 722, and the Babylonians overrun Jerusalem um, and the kingdom of Judah in about 587. If you like dates, I like dates. They help keep things ordered, orderly. Okay, so the second half of the verse 11. So this is God speaking. So God says, through Hosea, to the Israelites, whenever I would restore the fortunes of my people, and then chapter 7, obviously, whenever I would heal Israel, the sins of Ephraim, synonym, my people, the Israelites, are exposed, and the crimes of Samaria revealed. Samaria is the capital, is an important um, capital city of the northern kingdom. So remember what I, it, these will be easier to read if you will remember that, like, just take these two verses here. The sins of Ephraim are, are exposed, the crimes of Samaria revealed. It's, it's, it's the way Hebrew, it's the way the Israelites, Hebrew, the Hebrews did poetry. They didn't do it by rhyming words, at least not often. They did it by repeating ideas. So you get the first line and you get the second line. The same idea is repeated, but expressed differently. Okay? So, God says, Whenever I would heal Israel, the sins of Ephraim are exposed and the crimes of Samaria revealed. They practice deceit. Thieves break into houses. Bandits rob in the street. They do not realize that I remember all their evil deeds. And of course God does. You're never going to tell God something God doesn't know. You're never going to tell God something that God forgot. There is in the Bible now and then a beautiful phrase where it says like in the uh, second chapter of Exodus, God remembered, remembered the Hebrews. And all that means, it doesn't mean God forgot them. It just means it's a beautiful Hebrew way of saying now's the time to act. I'm forgetful. God is not. Okay? They do not realize that I remember all their evil deeds. Their sins engulf them. Okay? God does not have to sit on the mountaintop waiting to smite people. That was sort of the pagan notion. The pagan notion was you just basically wanted to spend your life staying out of the way of <laughs> the pagan gods and goddesses. That's not the God of Abraham and Jacob, the God who is, who is, the God who actually exists. It is our sins that engulf us. We bear the consequences. They are always before me, before me, God says. God, God sees it. They're, they're right there 
they're right there. Well, God, God knows what's going on. And then he, verse 3, They delight the king with their wickedness, the princes with their lies. They're all adulterers. Burning like an oven whose fire the baker need not stir from the kneading of the dough until it rises. Kind of scholars, not the clearest metaphor, but clearly the oven is hot, 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 and um, it's maybe tied to, you know, the passions that create adultery and so forth, but um, there's another oven metaphor later that's a little bit clearer. On the day of the festival of our king, the princes become inflamed with wine, and he joins hands with the mockers. Now, one fellow I read about this passage felt that what's being talked about here is a conspiracy against the king. They all eat too much, they get drunk. Um, I don't know. Their hearts are like an oven. They approach him with intrigue. Um, an oven is something where, is, is a place where things get baked and it takes time and you put one thing in and it comes out kind of transformed, right? So I, I think that's, that was kind of the idea with the conspiracies, that sort of the plans go in and then they get, they get baked and they come out with fruition. It's all about the conspiracies and wickedness of the people, even taking on some of their own, their own rulers. I guess we use the phrase half-baked. Yes, we do. We, <laughs> I hadn't think of that till just now. Verse 6, Their passion smolders all night. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven. They devour their rulers. All their kings fall, and none of them calls on me. So regardless of exactly what you make of verses 6 and 7, the big part is right there. None of them calls on me. None of them calls on God. They run their lives and they run their tribes and they run their kingdoms in just the same way everybody else does who doesn't even know about God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't call on God. Whom should they call on in times of trouble? Whom should they call on for advice and guidance? God, Yahweh. Okay, so, verse 8, Ephraim, the northern kingdom, mixes with the nations. They're like a flat loaf not turned over. That one I get for sure. That's, that's bread you're not going to eat. That's bread that's cooked on one side and burnt and, and uncooked on the other. Right? Uh-huh. No, Ephraim. No, Israel. You're not supposed to do your life and your like other people do. You're not supposed to be running around, ignoring God, seeking treaties with the Egyptians and whoever else it might be. Yeah, so they mix with the nations, but they're like a flat loaf not turned over. Foreigners sap his strength, and he doesn't even realize it. His hair, this is Ephraim, right? So it's kind of a personal type metaphor. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he doesn't notice. <laughs> 
You know, that strikes you and me as funny because, of course, when our hair goes gray, not that mine has, when, his hair, when, when our hair goes gray, we notice it. Because we, we walk by mirrors countless times during the course of our week, days and weeks and lives. Imagine a world without mirrors. That's their world. They don't have mirrors. They can catch a glimpse of themselves in still water. They can have polished metal, but they do not know what they look like to the degree that we know what we look like. Isn't that kind of a funny thought, Patty? It is. It is. Really you know, it's one of those little little things, right? But no, they they don't live in a world filled with mirrors. And if you read, you'll find references to that in Scripture, in various places, right? Yeah, so. we're used to you know, like it or not, passing mirrors all day, every day. Right. And then, of course, having to primp because of that. <laughs> it's it's this is all about the arrogance of the kingdom of Israel slash Ephraim. His hair sprinkled with gray he doesn't notice his Israel's arrogance testifies against him but despite all of this despite all of it he does not return to Yahweh his God or even search for him it's just illustrating what is Hosea what's the word is Hosea bringing to them They've they've lost their they've utterly lost their way. They don't even they don't even pretend to be searching for God or pretending to come to God for guidance. They're doing ha ah, what There's is it like? Right in their own yeah, eyes. Yeah, it's like the last verse of the book of Judges. They're all just doing what's right in their own eyes. It's their arrogance. Well of course I'm right, they say to themselves. I'm just listening to my heart. Beep beep beep. They're um, sure, that makes sense to me. That is not the life they are to lead. The life they are to lead is this covenant life with God in which they come to God for guidance. And my friends, that is the life we are to lead. That's the life we're, we're to lead. Oh, look at verse 11. Ephraim's like a dove, easily deceived and senseless. Little bird just flitting around, calling Egypt, turning to Assyria, seeing who will pick up the phone. Whatever. No. When they go, he says, and they're going to go, I will throw my net over them. I'll pull them down like the birds in the sky. When I hear them flocking together, I will catch them. Woe to them because they have strayed from me. It's, it's a, it, the sense is of a people who are going to run from God, but God is not going to let them go. Got it. God, God launched a project with Abraham to save humanity, to rescue all of creation, and God does not, God is not going to let go of that project. No matter how many people run from God, God, that project is going to move forward. And of course, as you know, finally, finally culminates the climax of that project, 
the climax of the story is in Jesus, who is from Abraham's family. Woe to them because they have strayed from me. Destruction to them because they have rebelled against me. I long to redeem them, but they speak about me falsely. It's like they, it's like they so dishonor God that God doesn't even feel free to sort of do what God would like to do. They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but oh goodness, they wail on their beds. <laughs> I love that. You know, God says they don't cry out to me from the hearts, but boy, just listen to them. They're wailing on their beds. They're afraid of this and that and this and that and this and that. But no, they don't cry out to me from their hearts. They slash themselves. Now that is a reference to some pagan practice, religious practices, um, where people would self-mutilate in some of those practices. You've probably seen pictures of people who walk down the street um, self-abusing themselves by whipping themselves on the back or other things and stuff like that. <sighs> They slash themselves, appealing to their gods. These are the gods of Asherah and Ashtoreth and Baal. Remember I brought pictures of the figurines last week? For grain and new wine, but they turn away from me. So they mix it up with their neighbors. They pick up the phone. They call Egypt, Assyria, trying to work things out, finding this and that. They appeal to their gods. They call on Baal. They call on Asherah but they don't call on God. I trained them, God says. I strengthened their arms. God saved them time and time again. <laughs> There's this great story in the book of Exodus where the Israelites who have just basically left Egypt are have to, um, are confronted by the Amalekites. They're a native people in the area. And so the Israelites are going to have to fight the Amalekites. And they are going to prevail. The Israelites are going to prevail as long as Moses' hands are up in the air. That's, that's sort of like the sign. So Mo, as long as Moses keeps his hands in the air, they prevail against the Amalekites. But of course, Moses is an old guy. He gets tired. I mean, how long could I do this? So they end up... <laughs> His brother and some other person end up holding his arms up, helping him keep his arms so that the Israelites carry the day, which is all about what? It's all about the fact that the day was not won because of the strength of the Israelite military, but because of God. It's God who rescued them. I trained them. I strengthened their arms, but they plot evil against me. They do not turn to the Most High. They're like a faulty bow. That means an, uh, an arrow, like a bow and arrow that is not capable of hitting the target because the bow is all, let's just say it's all warped, right? Their leaders will fall by the sword because of their insolent words. They will rely on their own, their own abilities rather than relying upon God. In the book of Joshua, God is the military commander of the Israelites. 
when they do what God says, they win. When they do what they think is sensible, but not what God says, they lose. Simple, straightforward as that. Their leaders will fall by the sword because of their insolent words. For this, they will be ridiculed in the land of Egypt. They're going to be a laughing stock because they will have relied on themselves rather than on God. Okay. Any thoughts or questions? Uh, no, we don't. Anybody? <laughs> Hull is with us today. Hey, Hull. Hope you're doing well. Okay, chapter 8. And on we go. Put the trumpet to your lips. An eagle is over the house of Yahweh. Because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel cries out to me, to God. Our God, we acknowledge you. Now, you would think that would be you know, a good start. But the question is, does a person mean it? It's like in, I don't know where, Jesus or Paul, one of the two says, you can't just say, Lord, Lord, right? Yes. You know, it's not just, it. it you can't just say things. It's not about just words uttered. These, There's no such thing as magic words. Israel cries out to me, our God, we acknowledge you, but Israel has rejected what is good. Put those two ideas together and what do you have? They haven't really acknowledged God. If we are going to acknowledge God, if we're going to, if we're going to follow God, we need to follow the good. We need to follow what is good because God is good. You can't say, I love you, Lord, and then, and then forget about the doing of goodness. This is very New Testament. It's very Old Testament. We ought to pursue lives characterized by what? Compassion and kindness. Right? Patience. Self-discipline. As we strive to become ever more Christ-like, which is striving to become, to, to do more and more good and turn away from gossip and envy and lust and pride, vainglory, all of these vices, sins that pull us off this path toward goodness. And the path toward goodness is God's path because God is good. God is the one who has taught us what good is. We're not the arbiters in the end of what is good. Our hearts betray us. Last, last verse in Judges again. You know, everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. No, no. We're to do what is to do our very best to do what is right in God's eyes. And we're to work alongside other Christians in trying to work through 
what scripture has to say to us about what is right and what is true and what is good so that as Paul says we may be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will know what the will of God is what is pleasing to God what is good okay but at verse 3 but Israel has rejected what is good an enemy will pursue him they set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. Samaria, throw out your calf idol. Okay, their calf idol. So I need to, I need to, we need to have a text box here. If you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, <laughs> or read any of them, or read the book of Exodus, you know that when Moses goes up to the mountaintop with God, the people down below get impatient. And they get tired of waiting. The days go by, some weeks go by, they get tired of waiting, and they end up constructing a golden calf. You know, the image of a calf, um, and, and it's made of gold or a gold plate or whatever they, they do, and they worship it. And they lift this golden calf up and praise it for having saved them from Egypt. Well, it's as dark a moment in, in, in the Old Testament as there is. Right on the heels of having been saved from slavery in Egypt by Yahweh, they build this stupid golden calf and credit the calf and worship the calf. It's so offensive to God that God basically says to Moses, I, I am not going on. I just can't. Uh, no, we're not. We're not going on because what's going to happen is we're going to get down the road and they're going to do something else like this and they're going to get consumed by my holiness. It's be like they're, they're just going to fly too close to the sun and they're just going to get consumed by my holiness. Because of this terrible, this terrible thing that they did, and Moses then has to talk God and basically talk God into no, no, you you really do need to go on with us, and so God relents and on they go. Now scoot way forward in time till after the death of David's son Solomon. After Solomon dies, tensions between the tribes erupt, and Solomon's son Rehoboam is an idiot and comes to the people and says, ah, you think my dad was tough, Solomon? Well, I'm really tough. I'm, I sting like a scorpion. What, what, what did Muhammad Ali say? Float like a butterfly? Sting like a bee. <laughs> Maybe that's Ray Bone. He says, ah, I'm, I'm tough. Triggering this revolt by the 10 Northern tribes. And, they, and their separation from the tribe of Judah and the tiny tribe of, of Benjamin. Now that revolt and that departure, that division, is the leader of that is a man named Jer Jeroboam. Jeroboam. He's a very, very capable man. This is, this is, we'll call it, you know, maybe 
little bit more than 900 years before Jesus. Jeroboam is a capable man, but he has a problem because the temple, which is the center of the Jewish religion, is in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he knows that if he just leaves it as that, that the, the northern tribe folks, his folks as it were, are going to end up wanting to make their way south and maybe old feelings and will be healed over and maybe the tribes will reconcile and then where's Jeroboam? He'll be out of a job. <laughs> so he comes up with this idea of making not one, but two golden caps. He makes two golden caps and he puts one up in a place called Dan, which is the northernmost spot in 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 the kingdom of Israel. Let's see if I have a, I think I have a, did I bring a map today? Yes. So way up at the top, if you look closely, you'll probably see Dan. It's kind of blocked by something on my screen here, but way up at the top of there is Dan. Yes. Dan is this northernmost place. And he put the uh, put another one at a place called um, Bethel, which is right down at the bottom of the green area, maybe. I put my glasses on. Yahoo, there it is. Yeah. So Bethel. So he put puts one in the north, up at the northern boundary. He puts one in the south, at the southern boundary of the Israelite kingdom. And so that he, they will begin to worship those golden calves rather than Yahweh and not feel the need to go to the temple in Jerusalem. It's a dastardly plan. And Jeroboam becomes this example of, of how terrible a king could be. You know, other kings will get report cards, and some of the report cards will read something like, well, so-and-so did what was evil in the sight of the Lord's eyes, uh, but not quite what as bad as Jeroboam was. Or so-and-so did evil in the Lord's sight, pretty much as bad as Jerobo Jeroboam was. So he becomes this real symbol of, of the Israelite rebellion against God. Hmm. What happened in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis? What did Adam and Eve do? Sure, they ate the fruit, but what was underneath? What was that? It was a rebellion against God. A rebellion against God. They, they thought they knew better. And so they did the one thing God told them not to do. They rebelled against God. Well, that is the story of the northern kingdom. They rebelled, not just and separated themselves from the southern kingdom, which is bad enough, but then they rebelled against God with these golden calves. And the capital city was Samaria. So hence, that is all that under, I mean, that, all that stuff is what underlies this reference in verse um, 5. Now, everybody who would have heard Hosea or read his words then or later would know exactly what Hosea is talking about. You know, but... I don't think most Christians have heard much about Jeroboam, and they really should because it is it is really one of the big turning points in the history of Israel. You know, and, I know he was horrible and an idiot, <laughs> but now he was a very smart and accomplished man, though we're told. Yes, right? But foolish yeah. in this. Foolish. Um, you know, this is a person who grew up 
uh, with his father being the king and his father having a thousand wives and concubines, all who worship their own gods, this was probably something he saw his whole life. Rehoboam, you mean. Rehoboam is the son. Yes. Jeroboam's an administrator. I'm so he, sorry. He's, yes. a, he's a manager yes. guy. Yes, yes, yes. And he sees his power. Yes. When the northern tribes leave, but he leads them out. He was still part of this, right? Where he saw all yeah, this going sure. on. And I'm just saying, sometimes it's, you know, obviously lost his way, but it was something that was happening all around. In 2 Kings 11, you're introduced to the great sin of Solomon. The great sin of Solomon was that he had 300 wives, 700 concubines, and they all brought their foreign gods and goddesses into Israel. And you're right, Patty, that put in motion this, this turning away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jeroboam's decisions are made within that context you know but it doesn't alleviate him of any guilt no. you know i remember my parents saying i, I don't care what your friends did yep. you know you, you're gonna follow them off a cliff that, that was very <laughs> yes very much what parents would say so hosea says samaria the capital of the northern kingdom throw out your calf idol my anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity, of holiness, of just loving me and loving others, God says. How long will they revel in their rebellion and sin and faithlessness? They are from Israel. You know what the name Israel means? Israel is the name given by God to Jacob when Jacob wrestles with God. Um, Genesis, I don't know, 26 or so. And it simply means one who struggles with God, Israel. The very word God is in the name Israel. Not the name of God, just the word. El is the word for God. It's not the name of God. Israel. So, verse 6, they are from Israel. Israel, this calf, a metal worker made it. It's not God. It will be broken in pieces, that calf of Samaria. The Jews were to have no graven images, no idols, no carvings, no statues, nothing like that of God. Because God couldn't be reduced to a carving or a statue or a painting or anything else. All the pagan religions did. I brought you pictures of some of the figurines last week. They all had figurines. You know, the ones we have, of course, are generally stone because they survived. Uh, but they had lots of them. Uh, poles, like a totem poles. Figurines, small, large, life-size, tiny. Put them in a curio cabinet size. All kinds of variations and permutations on... On things in the book of Isaiah, which we did not long ago. Remember now, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40, maybe Isaiah 42, maybe, where we were introduced to a fellow who goes out in the woods and he's got a big piece of wood and he uses half of it and carves it into an idol that he's going to worship. And then the other half of it, 
he throws into the fire to make a warm fire. And of course, the whole thing is just mockery of that because there we go in this verse. This calf, a metal worker made it. It's not of God. It'll be broken into pieces, this calf of Samaria. Of course it will. And then famously, here's, the, here's one of the famous verses from Hosea. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. Reaping the whirlwind is reaping the consequences of what you yourself did. This is a place where if you're going to read your Old Testament well, you will underline and circle a place like this. It goes with that one from above where it said their sins engulf them. Here it is, they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. Right? It's like it's like a boomerang, right? Sin is the boomerang. And who does it come back upon? The person who sinned. And and you might say, well, gosh, I wish it would be great if God caught all these boomerangs and kept them from turning back in upon us. But, but that would be like treating us like children. We might do that with our 8-year-old. We might, we might let our 16-year-old get bonked on the head with the darn thing. Reaping the whirlwind. An, another, you know, there's the other one, you reap what you sow, right? Um, you're you're going to get whatever you plant yourself. That's what you're going to get back. Here it is, the whirlwind. You, They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. Famous verse. The stalk has no head. It will produce no flower. That is a, a planting, a sowing, S-O-W, a sowing that results in nothing. You plant the seed, you, stuff grows, but there's nothing on it to eat. The, the heads of the wheat are all gone. They're not there. How many people's lives does that characterize? People who, who fritter their lives away and, and they have nothing lasting to show for it. People who should have something lasting to show. The stalk has no head. It will produce no flower. Were you were to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. Because they've been calling Egypt and Assyria and all this other stuff, following their own way. Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations. Ooh. Like something no one wants. <laughs> uh. It's like they're, it's, a, it's like God says, look, you're like a pretender, right? You're like a little kid who dresses up in adult clothes and goes to the adult party and everybody knows it. For However, the Israelites see themselves, they are not the mighty Assyrians and they are not the mighty Egyptians. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has sold herself to lovers to go back. What does that take you back to? That takes you back to Gomer and Hosea. 
Although they have sold themselves among the nations, I will now gather them together. They will begin to waste away under the oppression of the mighty king. So, it's like in the midst of uh, God talking to them about what awaits them as they reap the whirlwind. As, they, as, as sin engulfs them and they choose Assyria or Egypt or whomever and don't even, don't even look for God. You get this little bit of a few words that says, I will now gather them together. Verse 11. Though Ephraim built many altars for sin offerings, these have become altars for sinning. I wrote for them the many things of my law, but they regarded them as sounding foreign. That law is the law of Moses. The law of Moses is a covenant document. The law of Moses in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers of Deuteronomy is a covenant document entered into by the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai, and nobody bent their arms. They're asked three times in the book of Exodus alone, are you ready? Do you want to do this? Yes, they say. Yes, they say. Yes, they say. As Joshua is preparing to bring them into the promised land, Joshua makes them recommit. Are you ready? Yes, they're ready. But they weren't. I wrote for them the many things of my law. What are those many things? What are those many things boiled down to? Well, God love others. How to love God, what it means to love God, and what it means to love others. In all sorts of ways. <laughs> some of them big, some of them tiny about what you do in disputes over oxen. But if you read through it, it's pretty, pretty eye-opening. Verse 13. Though they offer sacrifices as gifts to me, and though they eat the meat, Yahweh is not pleased with them. Now why would that be? Why would God not be pleased with their sacrifices? So they're going to go in and they're going to offer up a sacrifice to God. Why would God not be pleased by that? That isn't what God really wants. What does God want? For them to do good. Micah, the book of Micah, which is a little bit, just a little bit later, um, but to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. Even in the book of Hosea, we've already, we've already heard that God doesn't really care about the sacrifices. That's not the point. So here, sure, they offer sacrifices as gifts to me. Yahweh is not pleased with them. Now he will remember their wickedness and punish their sins. They will return to Egypt. Okay, they're gonna, what's going to happen is they're going to end up scattered. Some to Egypt, some to other places. And they will be lost. They will never be reconstituted as tribes of Israel again. There will never be this kingdom of the ten northern tribes because they will reap the whirlwind. Verse 14. Israel has forgotten their maker and built palaces Judah has fortified many towns, but I will send fire on their cities that will consume their fortresses. Just a way of saying, look, 
Oh my gosh, you've built beautiful palaces. Oh goodness, look at your mighty cities. But they have turned away from God. And they will reap the consequences of that. Um, okay. Thoughts or questions at this point, Patty? Um, we don't have any, huh? Anything Lynn Lawton said she has a 1985 version of the NIV Study Bible 614. Makes no mention of slicing. That's where they were um, inflicting self-mutilation. That Well, it wouldn't... But back in, the, she says, back in the 85 version, it doesn't mention that. Okay, so, here's the thing, Lynn. The NIV Bible was revised in like 81 to 84... So, and then it was revised again in 2011. So, in 2011, they had advantage of more scholarship to use in translating some of these difficult translating places. Places difficult to translate. So, that's probably all that's about. They probably just made a small change. The translate translation committees and teams decided that 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 slicing, that self-flagellation, or whatever it was, um, was the better way to translate that verse. Okay? So that, it, it's a reason to try to use the most current edition of whatever translation you prefer. If you prefer the NID, NIV, invest a few bucks and get the one that's copyrighted 2011 because they made a number of appropriate and helpful changes because we learn more about the ancient Hebrew and the ancient Greek. That's what all those scholars do that run around all the time and write papers and present things. Probably some made a career off that very verse right there. Okay, anything else? Then let's press on to chapter 9. Do not rejoice, Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations, for you have been unfaithful to your God. Oh, yes, you love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. But threshing floors and wine presses will not feed the people. The new wine will fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land. Ephraim will return to Egypt and eat unclean food in Assyria. Why, 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 why? Look above because you have been unfaithful to your God. It's really remarkable, if you stop and think about it, that the Israelites, the Jews, kept all these writings preserved them which indicted themselves for what befell them that indicted themselves why do you think they did that hopefully maybe for future generations ah, not sure. to make the same mistakes for that future they generations done. not to make the same mistakes but here's the rub would they make the same mistakes yes sure they would because our hearts are marked by darkness and so God would have to do for Israel in the person of Jesus what only 
what only God could do because they just proved themselves unable um, to simply love God and love others. Verse 4, they will not pour out wine offerings to Yahweh, nor will their sacrifices please him. These are the ones who are going off to Egypt and Assyria. Such sacrifice will be to them like the bread of mourners. All who eat them will be unclean. This food will be for themselves. It will not come into the temple of Yahweh. It can't come into the temple of Yahweh because where is the temple of Yahweh? Where is the temple of Yahweh? temple of Yahweh is in Jerusalem. That's Solomon's temple. When it is knocked down, it's rebuilt after a fashion, then Herod rebuilt it in grand fashion. That's the temple. There is no second temple anywhere else. Um, Jews in distant places who could not travel to Jerusalem met in the synagogues, which is merely the Greek word for meeting place. I have a question for you. Yeah. On um, second sentence in verse 4, such sacrifices will be like the bread of mourners. It, does that have any... I mean, I may be so out there. Is is anything like this... Uh, are they talking about when there would be sin eaters who would eat the bread at the, at, at the morning of, to eat the person's sins and take their sins away what what is meant by that I'm, I mean I am confused such oh gosh Patty I'm it sorry. can't be sin eating that that um, all who the sacrifice will be unclean that's kind the, of reminded me of that because I think it is because even though they're they're offering up the okay so let's think about it. see we can reason things some things out here they're offering the sacrifices, but they don't please God. And the reason they don't please God is because the people are wicked and they are running after Egypt and Assyria and the rest of it. So the bread that they might offer God sacrificially is a bread that is, what, tainted by their okay. faithlessness. You might look at it and say, well, this is the bread of sacrifice and faithfulness. But God says, no, it's not. It might look that way, but you can't, you can't come here and offer up bread or anything else and sacrifice to me and then run out the door and fill, it with, fill your life with all these wicked deeds. Gotcha. Can't do that. It's almost like this is the temple of the Lord. That's exactly. That's Jeremiah. like Jeremiah 7. Yeah. When Jeremiah stands in the doorway of the temple and says, you can't come here to the temple and say to yourselves, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord, like that's going to fix everything. You can't do that and then ignore the needs of the widows and orphans and all the rest. You gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. And in that passage in Micah, um, God says, I don't want rivers of oils. I don't want your firstborn. I don't want any of that. What do I want? For you to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And so he says, ah, these sacrifices. You see, the sacrifices... Okay, so let's go to another level of this. Okay, so the immediate 
Hosea is a prophet of the northern kingdom. Does the northern kingdom have access to the temple in Jerusalem, which is in the southern kingdom? No, they don't. So, for the northern kingdom, when they are sacrificing to God, are they doing it in the temple in Jerusalem? No. The priestly system operates in the temple in Jerusalem only. There's no provision anywhere for any priestly system that operates apart from the temple of God that is in Jerusalem. There was a tabernacle, but with David and Solomon, it becomes a temple in Jerusalem. There, there is no other temple. There would be no other temple in Jesus' day. When that temple is destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, there is no temple. That's the only one. Would they go to the, the place in Dan or far, further down where they built these altars to Aha. other gods? Are they also uh -huh. worshiping Yahweh at the same place? Aha. Uh -huh. They might utter Yahweh's name somehow in that, but if you're going to run up to Dan where there's a golden calf, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? It's like they made their choices, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you can't... They, they made their choices, and their choices are embedded in their faithlessness. Verse 5, what, were you, what are you going to do on the day of your appointed festivals, on the feast days of the Lord? Even if they escape from destruction, Egypt's going to gather them. Memphis in Egypt will bury them. Their treasures of silver will be taken over by briars and thorns will overrun their tents. The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. To go back to the beginning of the chapter, I guess it's this chapter, <laughs> you're going to reap the whirlwind. You're going to reap the whirlwind. Because your sins are so many and your hostility is so great, the prophet's considered a fool, the inspired man, a maniac. The prophet. Now, Hosea is probably talking about himself here, along with my God. So, so we've kind of gone to Hosea's voice. Is the watchman over Ephraim because he is a prophet to the north. Yet snares await him on all his paths and hostility in the house of his God. They have sunk deep into corruption as in the days of Gibeah. God will remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. <coughs> now it's God's voice again. When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. Ah, who doesn't want grapes in the middle of the desert? When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. But when they came to Baal Peor, that's Baal, and that's, that's a place of pagan worship. They consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. It's just like God can't really even believe it. 
He finds, he finds them, he brings them along, he protects them, he looks after them. When they, after they leave the Exodus, they need water, food, and protection from the enemies. God gives them all three, the man in the desert, the water from the rocks, the raised arms in battle against the Amalekites. It's just like God can't believe this. They consecrated themselves. They, they made themselves holy in the eyes of this non-existent idol, Baal, and became as vile as the thing they loved. And what did they love? Baal. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception, even if they rear children, I will bereave them of everyone. Woe to them when I turn away from them. I have seen Ephraim like Tyre. Tyre is a city up on the Mediterranean coast. It's basically very close to where the infamous Jezebel comes from. I have seen Ephraim like Tyre planted in a pleasant place. But Ephraim will bring out their children to the slayer can't really know exactly what the writer means by or Hosea means by the slayer but you know what you know it's not good now it's back to Hosea's voice give them Lord what will you give them give them tombs that miscarry and breasts that are try dry So God says, because of all their wickedness in Gilgal, I hated them there. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. Now let's just remember, just let's just remember, because somebody's going to say to me if we were in all the room together, but, but, but God so loved the world that he, yes. So go back to chapter 2. When you read along in chapter 2, it sounds just like this. And you're just waiting for that hammer to fall. And there's a therefore. And you think what it's going to say is therefore. Boom. <laughs> but no. It says therefore. Ah. I will take her out into the wilderness. I will allure her. And we'll start over. As young lovers. I will woo her again. I mean, it's just remarkable, really, because God doesn't, doesn't, God does love them, but God is angry with them. Verse 14, give them, Lord, what will you give them? Is that Hosea? That's Hosea. Asking God? Asking God. That's Hosea. So what do we make of this? Even if they bear children, I will slay their offspring and give them the, homes the, that the, miscarry. The, yeah, okay. So what? what's this about children? And what are children? Children are... the Children are, are our legacy, right? Yes. Will the Northern Kingdom have a legacy? No. No, they, they will not have a legacy. The Assyrians are going to scatter them over the face of the earth. In so many words. And and it's they're going to be gone. There won't be any legacy. 
it's 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 these are just images they're striking images of the whirlwind that the northern kingdom is going to reap and it's because they're faithless they will not be faithful to god God says, I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. Ephraim is blighted. Their root is withered. They yield no fruit. You see, there's that's the same idea, right? What are fruit? <laughs> are children not the fruit of our loins? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? Even if they bear children, I will slay their cherished offspring. It doesn't mean God's going to run down and kill babies. What it means is that there will be no legacy. There will be no inheritance. There will be no descendants. There will be, in a practical sense, babies will still be born. But as a people, as God's people, as a northern... These are ten. There are only twelve tribes. Right? Only twelve tribes. Mm -hmm. These are ten of them that are going to be gone and this is Hosea's voice my God will reject them because they have not obeyed him that is a repeat of Genesis 3 they will be wanderers among the nations right they're going to be scattered they're not going to be constituted as tribes they're not going to be have tribal chieftains they're not going to be constituted again as a kingdom they're just going to wander among all these foreign kingdoms and nations and the assyrians and the egyptians and all the one other ones and the ones to come and all that kind of stuff that's we call what do we call them we call them the 10 lost tribes of israel right these are them so when we come back next week we will have one more chapter, kind of like all the ones we did today, and then we come to chapter 11, which in my NIV has a subheading that it's entitled, God's Love for Israel. Yay! <laughs> so, you know, when you read these prophetic books, you just have to persevere, because like, wow, wow. No wonder we had images of prophets coming with sandwich boards on their front and back that say, the end is nigh, right? <laughs> because, boy, oh boy. Okay, well, all right. So we did chapters, what today? Seven, eight, and nine. Yes, that was right? a lot. Very constant theme. And I appreciate everybody's patience, you know, getting through them. But, because they're... They're kind of relentless in themselves. Yes, they are. But if you take them in, it makes the word so much brighter when we get to chapter 11. And it says, ah, I loved him like a child. Okay? So. All right, Miss Patty. Okay. Oreo queen. <laughs> Thank you again, Mona. <laughs> I appreciate it. You See, want to close us up today? I sure do. Glad that you guys were all with us today. If you can, go outside for a few minutes. I'm going to, right now, I'm going to go outside for a few minutes just to get some of that beautiful sun. It's lovely out there today. It is.
we're so glad you're here. If you can, be with us tomorrow at noon in person in Piero Hall or online right here. Right. We'll make our way. First Samuel. First Samuel. Gaston. Oh, yes. Gaston from Central <laughs> Casting. Yes. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you got to come. See? Uh, yes, there you, you do. go. You do. We're going to have to come up with a real life character other than Gaston. I don't know. Yeah. See, animated characters are safe. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. You're not going to get canceled over slamming Gaston. Okay. True. True. All right. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this beautiful, beautiful day that we have today. And we thank you, God, for this time to come together. And Lord, the technology to be able to do all of this um, week after week. We are so grateful, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we carry ourselves through the rest of this day. We pray, God, for our families and our friends. And we pray, God, that you would hold each of us close to you, Lord. We lift up the joys and the concerns, God, on everyone's heart today. We, we didn't ask, but we know that every person out there has some joys and some concerns, some things that they're, they maybe, you know, just can't get off their mind. And we pray, God, for your wisdom and your discernment in helping us move past that, Lord. Hold us close. We love you, Lord. We just offer up all these prayers this afternoon in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody. Bye, guys. See you Adios. tomorrow. Adios.